0: Cider week is going on. The, uh, the craft cider festival is happening. It's coming up. So we're going to preview that and, uh, and talk about some other great stuff as well. Plus we're going to bring you some segments that we recorded when we were down at the Rochester craft beer expo. Uh, we got a chance to catch up with the folks from Little Thistle and Forager Brewing, and you'll hear those in, uh, in some upcoming segments here on the Minnesota beer cast. But let's, uh, let's bring Gretchen on good morning gretchen good morning how are you
1: i'm great i'm i'm i think the weather's great for drinking cider
0: oh well yeah this is a perfect time of year for cider isn't it
1: it is Yeah. is there a
0: bad time of year for cider cider yeah there's really no bad time of year ciders cider works year-round
1: it, it does, it does. But, uh, all the cider makers do see people buying it a little bit more once those temperatures warm up.
0: Yeah, when you can sit out on the deck and drink it outside, nice, crisp, cool cider really hits the spot. So, uh, how is, uh, how is the cider industry doing here in Minnesota? It's, uh, you know, we, we've seen, we've seen quite the growth over the past couple of years. Is that growth trend continuing? Is it plateauing? Where, where are we at with, uh, with craft cider in Minnesota?
1: Well, about three years ago, I think we saw a really steep incline of growth, and we're still seeing growth, it's, so we haven't quite plateaued, but there are going to be a couple of new cider uh, houses going into the city, and so that's a pretty new thing, and I think that that's going to keep spurring growth on, and a lot of the orchard-based cideries are still putting a lot of trees in the ground. So we're still seeing growth, and I think we're still hopeful. We're all hopeful there's going to be continued growth,
0: the uh, 2018 Minnesota Craft Cider Festival presented by the Minnesota Cider Guild is happening Saturday, June 9th at the uh, Como Lakeside Pavilion. Uh, Gretchen, give our listeners a little preview of uh, what they can look forward to at the uh, at the Craft Cider Festival.
1: Well, one of the most exciting things about the festival, I think, is just how many ciders we're bringing into the festival. So our current count is 110 ciders. Oh, my goodness. And yeah, I know it's it's a lot. There's, I think it's fair to say that there's no other place that you'd be able to sample so many ciders uh, in one place, all at the same time. So it's really exciting to bring to bring all of those ciders in. And about a third of those ciders, believe it or not, are coming from Minnesota cider makers. Uh, but we've got representation from. Uh, U.S. craft cider makers, and then we also get to bring in some international ciders, which is really fun. And most of those are coming from, uh, France, Italy, I'm sorry, France, Spain, and England.
0: When it comes to ciders, I think you know it's still a, a you know even even relative to to the craft beer industry, which you know on a grand scale is still a relatively young industry uh, but but you know the, the 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 this craft cider is even younger yet so I think a lot of people when they think of cider they they think of a very specific type of beverage. But there's a pretty wide range of of flavor profiles and and styles that you can find within the craft cider uh, uh, world, correct?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think the number one thing that a lot of folks don't realize is that not all ciders are um just bubbly sweet drinks. At, at the festival, we're going to have plenty of ciders that are dry. You no know, bone dry yeah. with bare, with little to no residual sugar in it and i think that's the first place that consumers tend to be surprised about the options that are available out there for cider
0: yeah, I know from from just for myself. I mean, when I when I really started delving into it, you know, a couple of years ago and 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 trying new things and tasting new ciders, that was the first thing that jumped out to me was how many different options there are. You know, you can get the you can get the bubbly soda type if that's what you're into. I mean, that's certainly available and and you can find that, but you can find ciders that you know, if you're a if you're a a beer drinker, you know if you, if you prefer the taste of beer, you can find ciders that sort of fall in and and hit that palate and hit that flavor profile. Or if you're more of a wine drinker, there's a lot of very delicious options available in that genre as well.
1: Yeah, and that's not to mention all the flavored ciders that are available now too. I mean, just looking down at the list of the ciders that are at the festival, we've got a couple with ginger, a couple with pepper. Uh, we 've got some with cherry, and then um, there's some citrus going on too, so we 've got the range from uh, dry to sweet to ultra tannic to then all the different flavors that folks are incorporating into their ciders.
0: What are a couple that you're specifically looking forward to trying at the festival
1: oh i'm always i 'm always a fan of those English ciders the kind that you can uh, uh, like you could stick a fork in them and it'd stand up. Uh, So we've got some of those coming in um, from uh, Cornish Orchards and uh, from Sanford Orchards, too. And then let's see what else is on the list. We've got... um, keepsake makes a chestnut single variety cider that's always really neat to taste because there aren't that many single variety ciders out there in the world ciders are usually made from a blend of different apple varieties okay so whenever you can see a single variety cider that's usually something worth trying to that's and a, a standout coming from more of the beer side of things we've got a number of hop ciders coming in too
0: oh neat okay well, you you mentioned uh, some international ciders coming uh, coming over, and and that will be available. Uh, what, what are what are some of the key differences that 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 when you look at the ciders that come in from from out of this country as to the domestic ones? What's what's are there any, you know, are there any profiles, any styles that are unique and and hard to find here in the states?
1: Yeah, yeah, there are, and it all comes down to the apple varieties that are being used in the ciders. So in the United States, we tend to make ciders from dessert apples. So those are the apples for eating out of hand that we're all used to. You know, so like Granny Smith, Gala or here in Minnesota, Harrelson and Honeycrisp. But over in England and France and Spain, they're using completely different apples. They belong to a category called bitters. So they've got a really uh, high proportion of tannins in them. And so that's the stuff that gives you kind of that astringent mouth feel or the the stuff that... um, that contributes to a sense of, you know, maybe like chewing on a cider rather than okay. drinking a cider.
0: Well, it, I'm, it sounds amazing. And uh, I had a great time at the uh, at the festival last year. Again, the 2018 Minnesota Craft Cider Festival happening uh, Saturday, June 9th at the Como Lakeside Pavilion. Where can people go to find out more information?
1: They can go to the Minnesota Cider Guild website at mnciderguild.org.
0: MN Guild dot org gretchen thank you so much for joining us we appreciate it my pleasure all right we'll talk to you again soon all right again and you can go to mnciderguild.org to get more information on the uh, cider festival happening saturday june 9th at the como lakeside pavilion coming up on the beer cast me and schmitty hosted some seminars and some panels at the rochester craft beer expo we caught up with little thistle we caught up with forger we'll bring you all that coming up on the minnesota beer cast
1: Justice in John,
0: John, yeah. they're going to paint the streets white. And they claim that this is contributing this heat island effect contributes to to global warming. No, It just makes the that area warmer. Right. That's all. It doesn't it doesn't add more greenhouse gases to the to the planet. It just makes that area warmer. That's why like Phoenix was always like tender. <laughs> I knew it move on no there's always so many awesome people here I mean it's it's you know it's not only you know getting getting to try some of your already favorite beers and a mm-hmm. lot of new beers that you may have never had a chance to try before but you know there's so many great representatives and members of the craft beer community that come to these events and it's you know the social aspect of it is uh, is a lot of fun
2: I agree hundred percent and we're joined by one of the uh, the great ambassadors of the uh, the Minnesota craft beer scene and the Rochester craft beer scene in particular particular uh steve finney how you doing steve i'm doing great thanks for uh, having me on so for those that, that don't know your smiling face how should they know you as an ambassador <laughs> of the craft beer scene
3: um I'm, i think i'm the only well there's one other scottish guy in the minnesota craft beer industry um but um, think i'm thinking the only one down here um how should they know my face i don't have a kilt on today but quite often i'll be wearing a skirt <laughs> and um but no we we um we opened a brewery down here in Rochester a few years ago, a brew pub. Um, but me and my wife decided we want to do our own thing, and so we're opening a brewery taproom here in uh, about three months, maybe. Three months. And the name of that place is going to be? It's a little thistle. All right, so I, what's what's a little thistle? So the thistle is the flower of Scotland. And much like the shamrock is the, the symbol for Ireland, the rose for England. And so... Um, it represents a lot to us. It's also known as a... It, it's it's a flower or a weed sometimes referred to that is very resilient and can grow anywhere. Um, it's very much uh, passionate in the sense that um, it is the protector of Scotland. Um, there's stories that uh, when the early English were invading Scotland and the Scots were trying to sleep, they actually put a whole bunch of thistles around them. <laughs> so they were warned when the invading enemy came because they stood on this, this prickly, yet beautiful flower and um, nice. it's known as being a humble weed too though and what that means to us is very important by being down to earth um, we want to make sure that we're approachable um, no egos no drama we are uh, we're in it for making good quality craft beer that's beautiful that works on so many different levels i, I think so it really is important to us it's, it's an extension of the pub um, with the Surly Law, obviously, we all know the brewery tap rooms are able to, to, to do what they do now. Mm-hmm. And that allows us this opportunity to have a, a really nice space that which acts as a brewery tap room and, and not necessarily looking at doing major distribution or anything like that. It that has me wondering now
2: what America's flower is, and I have no no clue, no idea. No, I'm not sure either. No. I, I, maybe it's the bald eagle. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. believe that's a flower. Oh. I then I don't know (laughs) Daisy Daisy I don't know. so what are your plans? You I mean, three months out, things got to be, you got to be hopping busy.
3: Yeah, so no, we're incredibly busy. We have our TTB approval. We have our information in the state. Um, I need to submit our stuff to the city to get a taproom kind of liquor license, mm-hmm. our equivalent of. Um, our, our place is actually being dug up right now. The building, they're doing all the earthwork and getting ready to lay some new paving. Uh, we'll have a large parking lot out there. And um, we basically have a 5,000 square foot brewery tap room that sits on two acres that sits right on the bike path. Nice. That's halfway between two of our neighboring brewery friends here in town, Forager and LTS. So So, where is it in Rochester here? Give folks the location. Yeah, it's, um, well, the address is 2031 14th Street, Northwest, but that is uh, Northwest Rochester. It's near our... uh, it's kind of an industrial area, but it's also very close, only a block away from a residential area. So kind of uh, mixed use then. What's that? Kind of like a mixed use yeah, area. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then um, it literally is on the bike path, so it's it's a really nice location. Nice. Folks will be able to bike right up and get themselves a beer. Absolutely, that's a plan to be biker friendly, uh, dog friendly, family friendly, <laughs> and um, you know all beer that kind friendly. of stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So are you are you envisioning
2: being mostly taproom sales? Is there plans for mm-hmm. Cans going out? Is there
3: kegs going to be going out? What's what's the vision for yeah. Little Thistle? No, the, the the goal is ideally to have mostly taproom sales, you know, and um, obviously being here today is a big part of our marketing and push to let people know about what we're doing. We do have the ability to we will we will can in the form of crowlers, mm-hmm. and I think we all know about other breweries in the state who are doing a nice job of, of packaging in crowlers, yeah, you know, for short shelf life, and we'll also have kegs that we we can do to look. So local establishments in town and so so that's really the goal to start with but really the focus is is the taproom experience and so you know I hate to say you know anywhere from a a, a dangerous man or a barrel theory those guys are the epitome of of how successful a taproom can be Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying we're gonna be be like them but it's the same model Mm -hmm. Um, and that's that's the goal yeah is there
2: is there room to grow in your business plan should things take off at an extremely fast pace and at an enormous level could you be i don't know summit in
3: 10 years i don't i don't think we we honestly me and my wife have said we don't really aspire to be a large production facility we don't a part, big part of our goal is and i just came back from cbc in nashville and i was with austin and those guys from forager and, and deb carey Give the main uh, one of the main keynote talks, Deb Carey from New Glarus, mm-hmm. and just talking about the, where me and my wife land is. You know, we, we really love people, we love the community, we love beer, but you know, if we expand, we'll probably start thinking about paying our employees' health insurance first before we do something else and buying more fermenters. I mean, we're really not in this to to become rich. We're in it to make a living and do something we love but really to be surrounded by some great people who, who believe in what we're doing, too.
2: So we just had Dan from Liftbridge on a couple of weeks ago, um, and they've got a, a huge expansion in the works. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, and one of the things that I've been saying for a while now is that I think the next evolution in breweries and tap rooms in Minnesota in particular is... The, the addition of food to the taproom experience. Yep. Are you guys gonna have some sort of food relationship or are you gonna be
3: uh, relying on the, the successful food truck model? And um, no, we are gonna do, We there's a few different ways we can do it, so we have to have food. I mean, it's just, just it's essential. Uh, we just don't want to do it ourselves. So there's a few forums that can come in and uh, I like the food truck model and we do have some food trucks here in town. I don't think it's as, as, as well-established or as plentiful as Minneapolis-St. Paul. And we are looking also doing the uh, pop-up kitchens. Mm-hmm. So that way, you know, someone actually in a, a restaurant in town doesn't have to have a food truck. They can set up, you know, and and we were in Chicago a few weeks ago and Beguile Brewing, one of the breweries there, and just had gourmet mac and cheese. You can have it done 20 different ways phenomenal, and guess what? It's going to fill you up. So that's an example of, of how you can have a pop-up kitchen there, help yeah. support another local business, and so those are the discussions we're having and um you know we even had here say i'll say that i haven't said this before but we're having a discussion with forager they're a brew pub and they're interested in helping us you know let's trial it and they could provide food one night for us yeah and so um that's a great symbiotic relationship there i think that'd be that'd be phenomenal yeah so that that's our plan we have to have food because people will get hungry obviously they can bring in their own food they can order in um but we want to try as many avenues and
2: business-wise, it. it makes sense because if they're staying there and eating, they're going to stay
3: longer and drink more, right? Absolutely, you know, and, and that's um, <laughs> it's maybe not as related to that, but food food is an important part. With that, they will stay longer. But we also have, I think, designed a place which is very conducive to people bringing their family or their kids. Yeah. So it's a big warehouse, and you can actually see what your children are up to. And the way we designed it, there is going to be actually a a little small arcade gaming area where the kids can be. You know, kind of like Bauhaus have done that, Uh you know, too. So um, likewise, your dog. Uh, dog's a part of your family, so we're working right now. Uh, with the city who are going to be looking at, uh, you know, making sure we're going to have dogs in the patios and potentially in the tap room. See, I will disagree with you on the dogs. Like I love bringing my kid to tap rooms, but I can
2: leave my dog chained up at home. I get in trouble if I leave my kid chained up at home.
3: Well, <laughs> I've yeah, been no, I'm with you. Well, the thing is, you know, this, this year we added a new addition to our family. So I'm biased. So we did, we did get a puppy. So we have a 10 month old, uh, lab mix that we rescued and she's fantastic. So, um, I'm a little biased, but you're right. Do you? Uh, we're almost out of time here, but do you want to preview some of
2: the beers that
3: folks can, can look forward to at Little Thistle? So the beers, you know, our goal really is to make a nice range of beers so that anyone coming in can find something. But uh, one thing that we've really focused on, and we've designed the brewery such that we can have a really nice drinkable lager. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're a 10-barrel system, but we do have some 20-barrel fermenters, so we can actually, you know, make those beers give them the time they need so a really nice handcrafted lager um we'll do we'll do a juicy ipa i like them i really do and mm-hmm. uh um also Yay. fruit sours too i love those too um a nice scotch ale we're gonna make with all the ingredients you can um, have to, don't directly you? from scotland yeah nice. i mean so so we want to make something very approachable there so I think, you know, it sounds kind of corny when people say it, but we, we do want to make a nice range. We're not going to be able to do everything, but we're, we're going to try and cater to a lot of different palates. Nice. I think that's smart. Well, yeah, thanks for stopping by, man. I'm looking
0: forward to uh, coming down and checking it out. Keep us posted on the progress. Maybe the Minnesota Beer Cast can come down and Absolutely.
3: Help, help celebrate when uh, when things finally get rolling. No, we'd love to. We're really going to make sure we, we take care. The, the You know, majority of the reason why we're doing this is the people. The people in this industry is just phenomenal. So we'll be doing a soft opening just for some of the the Minnesota craft beer industry people.
2: Well, and if folks want to follow the progress. Where should they do it on social media? Give us where. Yeah, we, we
3: have a we have a website, um, littlethistlebeer dot com, and we actually are hiring now. There's applications on there looking for a tap room manager and assistant brewer to work with me, um, and um, several beer tenders. There you so, have it. Or Facebook too. All right. All right. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. We're man, looking forward to it. Thank you so much, guys. Pleasure having
0: you back on. Thank you. More from the Rochester Craft Beer Expo. We're going to catch up with the folks from Forager next, right here on the Minnesota Beer Cast. Stick around.
4: iHeartRadio is the easy to use app for music and radio. Download the free iHeartRadio app today. From the Cremation
0: Society of Minnesota Weather Center. Mostly cloudy with some sunny breaks for today, a high in the upper 70s. Showers and storms possible late tonight, low 65. More storms. Expo uh, Forager Brewing. Enjoy
2: yeah thanks so much for for joining us austin we uh, 're going to be talking about kind of going uh, from an amateur status to to going pro kind of every every home brewer's i guess dream in in their garage they 're they're making beer I think a lot of uh, not every home brewer I guess but a lot of home brewers have you know that that idea where hey. This is cool. I like this. That's why I keep doing it. Because not only do I get beer, but it's something I enjoy. So, what
0: would be the first thing you would tell an experienced home brewer, somebody who you know is, is making a pretty decent beer, knows what they're doing, uh, if they're thinking about making that jump to
4: uh, to go in commercial? What would be the first piece of advice you would give them? Uh, the first thing I would probably advise them to do is. Um about what their job is that they have at that moment and whether or not they really like that job and the benefits that they get from that job um, because brewing probably won't offer you that same stability um, so that would kind of be my first thing is like really analyze what you're doing now and Do you, what you enjoy that your be.
0: life and do you want to continue to enjoy your life exactly so <laughs> you know.
2: that's a that's a really an, uh, an, an honest and frank look at joining the the industry of of craft beer, right? It's it's going from, you know, maybe being uh, somebody who sells insurance to owning a company and putting your risk into a startup and not only not having the 401k and the health insurance that you might have had before, but being responsible for employees
4: and and an entire company that might be under your leadership, right? Oh, most definitely. I think that transition... um, would be assisted with the understanding of that industry. So, whether or not it's something that you'd want to do as far as getting a job in a brewery and seeing if you like the work that it takes, because it's very different than home brewing, um, actually working in like a factory style situation. So, that's going to be one big thing that you're going to want to look at. But the managerial side of it is a whole other aspect. Um, you're actually not going to be hanging out with your friends any longer. Your friends are going to be your employees and their children and their families, and those are the people that you're going to end up having to take care of rather than take care of a great party in your backyard. Um, So that's something very important to understand is that you you should have good managerial skills or the ability to trust somebody to put that person in the right place so that they can uh, really take care of the people involved in your business.
0: I imagine running a brewery, running a tap room, uh, you know, uh, 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 any any variation of the different sort of styles of, of of commercial breweries we have now is much like the restaurant industry in that you know it's not if you're in charge, if you're running the place, if you're the owner, it's no longer a job; it's essentially your life. I mean, you you spend more time there than you do at home. You're you know, you everything sort of revolves around when
4: you have to be there. Do you ever get a vacation? Um, yeah, but it's a working vacation. I just got back from Nashville, actually. It was a great time, but you know, we were there to learn about beer and talk about beer. Um, so if you want it to be your life, I mean, Summit Brewing Company said it right when they say, like, beer is life. Beer is my life. Um, and that is, that's it. You have to take it that far. Um, and sometimes that's not fun. Like, drinking beer on the weekends when you pull off a great batch of homebrew is truly an exceptional experience. I mean that's what we all kind of dream of is having this group of friends who wants to come over hang out with us and enjoy a good time owning a brewery is not necessarily that it's more sometimes you end up fighting against your friends especially in the state of the industry right now there's only so many tap lines there's only so many like pieces of real estate out there for breweries to take up and you have to be very conscious of that that you're the people in your industry who are your friends you're also competing directly with so you're not just throwing a party anymore you're actually having to look at this in a way that you don't necessarily want to have that attitude towards beer um and it it can kind of jade um beer for you and and you get very it just becomes a lot more personal and Mm -hmm. that's a good thing it means you're passionate it means you care about your product and you want it to go far and do well um, but it it isn 't that same thing anymore, um, where you just are out there having a blast, you know you have to focus in deeply on everything else. So what is the, the
2: first physical thing you need to do when going from amateur to pro? You, you mentioned possibly getting some professional training. Is that where one should start? Should they start with writing a business plan? What is the, the first step when I go from pie in the sky, uh, garage, Sunday afternoon, seven beers in, dreams of a brewery, to actually putting things down
4: and, and making it happen? I think it's just an understanding that there's no stepping backwards at that point. You have to look at it as like, you're going to do this, and if you want to do it, you shouldn't go in with one foot forward and one foot back. You should jump forward into this. So whatever that means for each individual, if you are a mechanically minded person, you're probably going to want to... Associate yourself with some people who have good other business skills. If you are a chemist, you're probably going to want to hook up with an artist to get these creative skills. Um, I think each individual is really going to benefit from going a different direction, and you're going to have to understand that the skills you have are only a small piece of the puzzle that's going to make your brewery successful. You're going to, again, rely on your team that surrounds you, so you really need to understand your weaknesses and allow a bunch of other people to um, kind of like take over a really important facet of your life and you have to trust them a hundred percent you can't go into that relationship with one foot in and one foot back or you're never going to treat them right you're never going to really have a vision for your company so for for me if if you're looking to do it you have to do it there's no second guessing yourself that's the most important part be committed be a hundred percent committed
0: what was the talk about your your journey you know what was the catalyst for you that made you
4: decide to take that leap um, so I was working at a great job in the Twin Cities at uh, the Wedge Community Co-op as a cheesemonger. I had benefits. I had a um, 401k plan. I worked four days a week, lived a great life. Um, but I was making homebrew, and it led me to those backyard parties. It led me to those like relationship-building experiences, which were more satisfying to me than what I could get out of that daily job. And therefore, I realized that in order for me to to get anywhere in this industry as a home brewer, I'm going to just read, 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 read. So I got every book I possibly could get and went through that and then tried to get a job in a brewery i was fortunate enough to get a job at rush river brewing company right over here these guys make awesome beer and they were the ones who reached out so what um, i'm drinking me, right now gave me a chance um in the industry and you know i'll never ever be able to thank them enough for that opportunity um and from that point I was still pushing my homebrew really hard, but also making styles that I wanted to drink. I didn't sacrifice it necessarily for people telling me, oh, you should make this kind of beer. Um, people are just telling me, hey, the beer you're making is great, and if you will sell it to me, that's awesome. And I'm like, I can't. You can come over. You can have parties with us. But that's kind of when the light switched on in my head that, hey, maybe I could actually go out and do something else. Um, business plans or not I think they're important but I also don't think that they're necessarily the thing that's gonna like make you a good brewery it's really about your passion and what stands behind that Um, That's going to make you a good brewery. I think Um, you have to be financially stable as a business So if you're going to go into business, you better get what that means like it's not a party in your backyard anymore If you don't pay your mortgage at your house, like you're getting kicked out If you don't pay your (laughs) bills at the brewery, you know, like all of your employees and their kids are getting kicked out So it's like you have to balance that you have to understand your bottom line But that that should be what business is about and then making it successful is about your passion Yeah, you you touched
2: on a little bit there when when we talked about Money and making sure your business is financially viable um, i 've known several um, people who who want to start a brewery who take those steps to start the business plan uh, move one step at a time, and maybe you know you mentioned being committed earlier, maybe some of those folks just weren 't one hundred percent committed but i 've talked to more than one um, who who 've had problems getting I guess investment in in their dream into their into their buy in um, what, What is it like getting investors
4: into a new brewery? So for me, um, I, I went down that same path. I had two other basically business plans kind of written up in different locations. One was in St. Paul, and one was in a smaller town in um, southeast Minnesota. And both of those didn't work out. So when I went to the third situation, um, I was fortunate enough to meet my current business partner, And she was very well connected in the community. So when we decided to do a brewpub model rather than a distribution model, it was very easy for us to find investors because it wasn't going to be about something that was a lot bigger than our community. It was a community-based center and that they could bring their friends, their families, um, anyone they knew who's coming from out of town and be like, hey, this is, I own this. I'm part of this. This is our community and we stand behind it. So... Um, That part, for me, was... I didn't do a lot of the fundraising because I was so focused on upscaling everything and acquiring equipment and building out the brewery that when we needed that final capital investment, um, we were actually able to get it within about a month, and we were able to raise over $300,000 from very, very generous people in this community who are happy to be um, owners of our company and we're happy to have them as owners of our company. All right, part
0: two of our panel with Forger coming up right after this.
1: And now tips from Sean Hannity on how to do a successful radio show.
4: My advice, just stay focused. Don't get off message. Keep owning the news cycle with substance. Keep talking about the issues that are happening now.
2: Weekdays at 2.
4: And, um... Hey, Sean. Radio show. Um,
2: but what what kind of... I guess commitment is made to investors when they're investing in in a company. What kind of return are they looking on uh, for their
4: investment when they invest in a small brewery? Again, I think that's all up to the individual. Um, Certain investors are definitely looking for a lot of payback right away, and I think they're investing in a lot larger brewing companies um, that are looking to have more of a regional um, reach because that's what's going to be successful to make money back if it works out. Um, I think the kind of person who is going to invest in a brewery in your local environment and you plan to live there and raise your family there, you're going to get endless returns, whether or not it's financial or whether or not it's something that's just going to improve your life and your opportunity to meet people and, and kind of change your community. Is it uh, a lot of
0: the newer breweries, you know, they're really struggling, you know, not struggling like to make good product, but financially, you know, they're, they don't have their footing quite under them yet and they can't really afford to make mistakes, but mistakes do happen. So what do you say to that newer place that can't, you know, watching every single penny when maybe a mistake does happen in the brewing process and suddenly their product isn't quite up to what they would like it to be and they're faced with that dreadful decision that every brewery has faced at one point or another of do we dump this batch and eat this money or do
4: we we plow ahead and try to do what we can with it? So uh, I can start that off with just a little ando from Forager that like when we have a beer that isn't up to our standards of serving in-house, we will do one of pretty much three things. We'll either dump it down the drain. Um, We have to call the water department and be like, hey, we're dumping 250 gallons of, like, 4 pH beer down the drain. Be prepared. (laughs) It's coming through. Um, But we also have a kitchen in our brewery, which is a great resource for us. So a lot of times we can take that beer and turn it into something else. Um, so whether or not it's using it to inoculate a hot sauce, um, boil it down to become a demi-glaze, uh, make a beer jelly out of it, um, add it to blend it with a different beer to reduce like, the quality of um, its pH level, bring that back up. Um, there's a lot of ways to utilize those beers that might not be exactly what you were shooting for. Um, but for me, if a new brewer is going to go into this industry and open something they're really going to want to not serve a product that they're not happy with, especially in the state of the industry right now. We're about to hit 10,000 breweries in the United States. That number is outrageous. So when you think about the competition, if you're going to put out a poor product just to try and make the bottom line, there's another brewery next door to you making great product to Hit the bottom line And where are the customers going to go It's pretty obvious They're not going to want to come back If you have something that's constantly fluctuating um, You, Unless that's your brand You know Um, And that's fine, but I think quality as the base is going to be the thing that survives this industry. Um, It's not going to be like the most current style. It's not going to be this, that, the other. As long as you're focused on quality, I think everyone will be fine because that's really the most important thing in the end of the day. So my takeaway from that was we should be seeing
0: more breweries with hot sauce. Exactly. I, I completely agree. Yeah, definitely. When, when you see a brewery start to sell some hot sauce, you're like, I know. <laughs> I, know <laughs> I know what happened there. That's not, a, that's not a bad thing. I want more hot sauce. <laughs> Put it in an
2: ice cream. There you go. So uh, what was the, I guess, what was the biggest learning experience for you? I don't want to call it a mistake. I want to call it, what was the biggest learning experience for you in, in opening Forager, going, going from an amateur to pro?
4: Um, For us, going amateur to pro was kind of like just the build-out design and then dealing with the last-minute changes that happened with adaptation to our business plan. So we started out with about 6,000 square feet, and we built the brewery to accommodate 6,000 square feet of customers, and then we got another 4,000 square feet of space for people to sit in the business. So we were very undersized from day one. And that not only costs us tons of extra labor hours, which stress us out. You know, my brewers are amazing. These guys work day in, day out. Um, I, it wouldn't be what it is without without the brewing staff there and the rest of the rest of the people work for us. Um, but that that was it. it it was really like we thought we were only going to make need to make this much beer oh we have to make double that much beer but the equipment's already in-house like installed so we can't go back um so it's a labor thing but if i guess yeah, I'm, there's, I'm there's two variables
2: yeah. there right so you you can either change the the equipment or you
4: can change the labor so it looks like you guys are changing the labor yeah you know at this point we were kind of built into a spot and just didn't have any more capital at that point so it was it was uh, work or get out <laughs> like, right and then what was the
2: uh the biggest success i mean what what did you what's the opposite side of that spectrum what did you guys totally nail you're like yes didn't didn't know a thing coming as as an amateur now we're pro and totally nailed that
4: I think it's just being very adaptable to styles of beer, um, and that echoes my homebrewing background. Like, I'm still a homebrewer, pretty much. Like, we're not forced to make beers that have a brand for loyalty on the shelf. We only sell it in our tap room so I can experiment every day and I feel like that's our biggest challenge is because we're constantly redesigning everything and working so hard to perfect the few recipes we do rebrew um, but, but it is our biggest success I think is the fact that we are able to still be homebrewers at heart in a professional setting and I feel like we're doing a fairly decent job of adapting to current trends that we love to drink around the world and also giving like kind of a throwback, um, pay homage to all these other styles that we love to drink that are um, historical as well.
0: If uh, you got any homebrewers out there that are listening to this right now and they've been sort of entertaining the ideas of, of putting their product out to market. How do they know? Like, like, what would you tell a home brewer to look for? Uh, how do they know if what they're making? Because, you know, their friends probably all love it. They probably all love it. They sit in the backyard. They drink it. They think it's great. But is it really ready to to be commercialized? Is it really ready to hit the market? What should they be looking for? And what resources are available to a home brewer who wants to find out if what he's making
4: really is good enough to, uh, to get out there, out there in the market? Um, resources definitely like Cicerone program, off-flavor testing. If you want to like understand what those things are, that's a good start. You're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna know what bad beer tastes like so you can avoid it. Um, obviously, you're gonna wanna taste tons of other beers on the market in the styles that you like to brew, so you can kind of understand that. Okay, these are kind of the. Um, ends of this line of where this style can fade to Um, and if you're comfortable with your beer it's ready for the market I mean that's something that everyone just has to kind of accept about themselves there is no definition I guess of perfection except if you're you know Charlie Papazian and you're (laughs) you're judging the best beers in the world Um, I think he he might have an idea of perfection Um, I however don't I don't know if homebrewers do and I, I guess you know you're going to want to just make sure that you believe in your product. If this is like the thing you think about most um, during all your free time, if this is the thing that you spend all of your extra money on, these are the things you go out and search out in your life. It, it seems pretty obvious you have a passion for it. Like, you're going to want to maybe do that step, but. Also, I would talk to your local brewers, reach out to them. Everybody in this industry is super friendly and open-minded. Um, you know, it's a, it's a product meant for people and discussion and talking, so don't, like, be shy um, asking questions. There's tons of great resources online, um, all sorts of different websites. So um, just read, too. You're going to really want to read because there's so much good information in books that you're not going to find anywhere else so i mean that's kind of it believe in yourself believe in your product and you'll you'll be just fine as long as it's a good clean beer <laughs> we do want
0: to open it up to questions at some point so if anybody has any questions would like to uh would like to talk to to the panel here uh, feel free to just come on up raise your hand and we will get to you questions anyone in the peanut gallery have any questions <laughs> go ahead how do you deal with
4: a uh, recall question was how do you deal with the recall if no way about um, that so we actually don't do distribution um so we haven't put any beer out there on the market that has like needed to be recalled because of like exploding bottles or anything but that's uh, something that we deal with in-house before actually selling beer um so we did crowler off like 500 cans of a pale ale at one point that got pushed out at a release and we sold about i think about 150 cans of it And we realized that it was undercarbonated. So we basically offered everyone the opportunity to bring their cans back for a full refund. um, Because that's just kind of what we can offer. And we pulled that beer from the market. We didn't sell any more cans. Um, So that's, you know, we don't have to go down the complex road of pulling beer back off liquor store shelves and from bars. Um, And again, that's kind of why I like being a brew pub is you don't have to deal with all that. So, yeah.
0: Very good. All right. If anybody's got any more questions, want to step up, we will uh, wrap up this panel. Thank you so much uh, to Austin from Forager. Always a pleasure to have you on the
4: show, man. It's always a pleasure to be here, boys. Yeah. We,
0: uh, we, we we love your product. We love your beer. And clearly, from your track record here at the Rochester Craft Beer Expo, what are you, a two-time reigning People's Choice Champion? Two-time. Two-time. <laughs> good, l- good luck defending your title.
2: We, the, uh, the totals are being, I think, tallied right now, so we'll see how things turn out here at the Rochester Craft beer expo we'll be back after uh, after some more
0: music it's all right We're going to be- i've been in contact with the russians it's all good <laughs> collusion we got this take. collusion care of. it's
2: all good we'll be back for the next panel i believe it's 5 15 5 30 we we'll talking to some out of state new breweries at five o'clock we'll see you back here thanks a lot rochester thanks
0: all right, that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the Minnesota Beercast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, get the iHeartRadio app. It's really the best way to follow the program and get updated when new episodes are posted every single week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for spending some time. Thank you for sharing this show with your friends. We will be out at the St. Paul Summer Beer Fest Saturday, June 9th. Swing by, say hello, and on next week's edition of the Minnesota Beer Cast, you'll hear some of the content from that event. Have a great weekend, everybody. Cheers.
1: Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears, I like beer.